Am I okay? We're on. Good morning. Glad that all of you are here. I have uh, one quick announcement I would like to, to make. For those of you who are here on Wednesday, you've heard this already, but we have uh, in the back of the, uh, the foyer, we have a big blue box. And around it, surrounding it, are big uh, yellow pencils, uh, neon colored pencils, pieces of paper that are pointing into that box. Uh, and what that box is for is our very own uh, Victoria Holt. Uh, she belongs to uh, Carlos and Gina Martinez. Uh, she is uh, working, uh, uh, getting her degree. And one of those things that she's doing to get her degree is she is doing a project. And she has chosen to partner up both with the schools uh, and with Taylor Street. Uh, we've uh, agreed to join her. And she is collecting uh, supplies uh, for, for children in need. And she came up with a statistic that was just uh, really amazing uh, to me. She said in, in one particular school uh, in our district, um, they have a, a poverty rate or a, a free and reduced lunch rate of 94%. That school has 330 kids. About 15 of them do not qualify to get uh, food because of their... Uh, the amount of income that they bring in. So the other 315 students need help just getting fed. Uh, and so she recognized that need, and she said, you know what, I want to partner up with a group of people who care for the needs of others. So she made a phone call, and, and we've been in conversation, and uh, she has already visited with us a little bit on Wednesday night. But she is collecting those, and she'll be out there by that bucket, which will be overflowing shortly. Uh, it already has a lot of stuff in it. Uh, and so we want to, I want to encourage you to go by, pick up one of those little sheets that says some different things uh, that you can bring, uh, and then visit with her as well. And so I'm going to embarrass her for just a second. Victoria, will you, will you stand up and give everybody a wave? Okay. So there you know it is. Thank you so much for your work. We are all ministers, regardless of where we work or what our title may be or what our background may be. You don't have to go to college or seminary to be a minister. Uh, Peter is very specific about it when he says that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. Uh, and so we want to remember and recognize that each one of you has a gift, and God just calls you to go out and use it. All Scripture is God-breathed is the phrase that Paul uses when he talks to a younger Timothy as he is getting towards the end of his life. Paul's not the only one who thinks highly of Scripture. In fact, if you go back and look at how we got the Bible as we have it now, it did not fall from heaven leather-bound. And on these nice little pretty pages. It wasn't copied or Xeroxed. It wasn't faxed. It was written by hand. By people, scribes, who spent years and years learning and perfecting their trade. So that one day they might have the joy of copying down Scripture 
that would be passed on. It was no easy job. It wasn't for the slackers, the ones who couldn't make it. It was one of the most revered occupations to have, to be a scribe, to have an opportunity to read those words in Holy Scripture and write them down again. And they took great pains to make sure that they made as few errors as possible. They would write a certain section of passage for the day, and then they would go through and count how many words that they had written down. Then they would count which word was in the middle. And they would go back to their original source, and they would count those words, and they would count the word in the middle, and they made sure that those two words matched up. And what was even more special is when they came to the name of the Lord, they would only use a certain quill in which they would write it on. It would only write the name Yahweh with that quill, nothing else. You see, the Bible is the Word of God, it's transforming. We're all familiar with Acts chapter 2 verse 38 where the people uh, are, are, are told by Paul, repent and be baptized. Peter, by Peter, says repent and be baptized. We know this really well, right? But what happens before this? Peter is talking to the people and when he tells them what has taken place, the story of Jesus, the gospel, the good news, they are cut to the heart, and they say, what do we need to do? And then he says, repent and be baptized. It's the inspired word of God. Later on, we read in Luke chapter 24, that Jesus has now somewhat disguised himself. This is after his crucifixion and his resurrection. He's walking along the road with a man named Cleopas and another companion and as they're walking on the, the, along the road, he reveals to them the Holy Scriptures starting from the Old Testament leading up to who he was. And finally at the table in the breaking of the bread, he reveals himself to them and they look at each other after he's disappeared and he says, were our hearts not burning as He revealed the Scriptures to us while we were on the road. It's the transforming Word of God. Probably most of us are familiar with what takes place in Luke chapter 4, but I think we miss something that says a lot about Scripture and about how Jesus felt so strongly about it. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim the freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Listen to this. Then he rolled up the scroll... 
gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began saying to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Did, did you catch what happened? Do you notice the different postures in which Jesus took? When it was time for the scripture to be read, he stood up, unrolled and read. And after it was done, he gave the scroll back and he sat down because he understood just how valuable and important the scriptures are to be treated. My good friend and colleague Blair Gibson once said, and I love quoting him on this one, he said, do you know why the word of God is powerful? Because it's the word of God. And I think oftentimes we forget just how powerful and transforming this is. Philip is driving down the road in his chariot with the eunuch beside him. And they're having this conversation. And after studying the scriptures, the eunuch says, What prevents me from being baptized? So they're cruising along and they find a body of water to dunk him in. The Word of God, the Bible is transforming. Let me be the first to stand before you and confess that I have not given it its due. As preachers, we have a big problem with this. Because we're dealing with people who largely are familiar with the Bible. They've heard the stories. And so we try to find these cute, funny, interesting ways to retell the story or, or to show something so you can look at and say, oh, okay, that's a little different. And we forget that the main point is studying the Word of God. And you walk into a situation and you say, oh, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm, I'm scared. What, what's the right thing to do? Just remember that if you want to study the Bible with someone, believe that it has transforming power and as you open it up, the Spirit leads us. You're saying, where are we going with this? Aren't we supposed to be in the Old Testament? Well, we are. We're getting there, just taking the long way. You see, I had a, a professor who once lamented that, that there are certain books of the Bible that much more commentary is written about the original book itself than is actually contained in that book. He says it's weird that the, the, the book of John, the Gospel of John, is only 21 chapters long, but if you tried to gather up all the books that discussed and dissected and commentated on what was in there, it would take up an entire library. And so, he said, you know, we always should be careful to write more than what is written or to speak more than what has been spoken. That carries even into our own tradition when Thomas Campbell, one of the founding fathers of the Church of Christ, said this, Where Scripture speaks, we speak. 
and where scripture is silent we are silent so where does that leave us this morning <laughs> for those of you who remember where we are along in our series we are studying the book of Obadiah if I were to tell you to look in Obadiah 21 what would you assume you would probably assume that I'm talking about Obadiah chapter 21, right? It's not Obadiah chapter 21 because there are no chapters in Obadiah. Unless you want to say there's simply one. But if somebody says, look at Obadiah 16 or Obadiah 11, they're not referring to chapters, only verses. In my study of Obadiah over this last week, as I was reading it, I averaged about three and a half minutes from start to finish reading it out loud. So if I'm going to follow the format of what my professor suggested, that we should not speak more than that which was spoken, we're almost done. In fact, the introduction was far longer than three and a half minutes. So is there anything that we can get from Obadiah and its 21 verses? I think there is. Now, we could simply open it up, read all 21 verses, and in 3 minutes and 28 seconds, we can be done and call it good. And some of you have already started reading it, and you're halfway there. And I didn't do this, on, I didn't plan for it to be this way. I know preachers say this, and you don't believe them, and you may not believe me, but I actually believe there are the exact three points that we can get from the book of Obadiah in its 21 verses. They're really simple. I want to look at those for just a moment. The first one is this. Do not rejoice in your brother's misfortune. Listen as I read Obadiah 11 through 14. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered in his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their destruction. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their destruction, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their destruction, nor seize their wealth in the day of their destruction. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. Obadiah is interesting because it is one of only three uh, books uh, of prophecy which is prophesying to another group of people Nahum and Habakkuk are another one this is for the people of Edom and we're going to talk about this in class and I hope we have enough chairs in the quads because I know everybody's going to want to go and hear a little bit more about the Edomites who came from anybody know Esau and this is very interesting one um, Christian comedian once said that it's because of Jacob and Esau that we still have to take off our shoes before getting on an airplane. 
the strife and enmity that took place uh, between them is, is pretty profound. Uh, that and uh, uh, Jacob as well, uh, he also had a little bit of issues with one of his brothers. But this is a real deal for them. The Edomites uh, watched as their brothers, you could almost say cousins, were carried off. And they snickered. And they laughed. And they said, I'm glad that happened to you. And they joined in on the fighting, and even more so, they joined in on the plunder of taking away that which was in Jerusalem. Casting lots for things. And God says through Obadiah, don't stand there aloof. Don't laugh. Don't mock when your brother has misfortune. And I think we can carry that a little further and say, not just our brother and not just our neighbor, but even people that we really don't like. How many of you have been sick in the last 10 years? I mean, like really sick. How many of you have been in the hospital? Raise your hand if you've been in the hospital in the last decade. A few of you? How many of you have been in a waiting room of a hospital in the last 10 years? Right? You've been there. If you haven't been in the hospital, you've been at the the doctor's office, or maybe you just knew what you had and you were staying at home for a week while you rode out the flu. Those can be some pretty desperate times, can't they? Some of you may remember uh, a few months ago, I started having some stomach issues and all kind of culminated to one Sunday I was up here saying some really uh, terrible things about one of the books of the Bible and says, man, Lamentations is an awful book. Well, leading up to that, I I was sick for a while. And I got so used to being sick that I couldn't imagine not being sick. my stomach hurt every day whether I ate or didn't and I just said I just want to be well but I couldn't imagine doing something and not feeling bad that happens when we're in some some difficult times I had a minor gallbladder issue and some of you have faced things so much worse and you know what it's like to be in that dark place and for someone to show up and hold a candle. I bet you those of you who have spent time in the hospital, those of you who have grieved the loss of a loved one, those of you who have gone through a difficult divorce and you've had different struggles in your life, maybe you were laid off, you remember when people come by and offer love and kindness to you. Some of them are, were your close friends. Some of them you really didn't know that well. But maybe as a result of that interaction, of them showing up, it completely changed your relationship, or at least what you thought of them. It's in the darkest hours that we can shine the most. And when our brothers and our neighbors and our enemies are in those dark places, it is then and there that we can shine our light the brightest. Jesus understood this. 
He knew that turning the other cheek or giving away your cloak or walking the extra mile said something about your faith and your God that couldn't be said when you weren't struck, when you weren't forced to walk, and when you had a coat to cover you. Key point number one. Don't rejoice in your brother's misfortune. The second one is this. People will reap what they sow. And I'm going to use a word that's going to be slightly offensive to those of you who know uh, the etymology or the origin of the word, and that's, that's karma. Now, there's kind of a disambiguous way in which we use karma, which basically just said, you know, what comes around goes around. And that's what I mean by this word. I don't want to refer necessarily to the fact that it came from Hinduism or Buddhism. Uh, They believe that your good deeds would help you in a future existence, in a, a future life. But I think it's really clear. In fact, if you don't believe me, let's go to Obadiah chapter 15 and read this. Oh, I said chapter 15. Can I go sit down now? Are we done yet? It's verse, I don't even have to say verse 15. It's Obadiah 15. That's a bad habit. The day of the Lord is near for all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just had a conversation with someone uh, last night and I had already kind of figured out what I wanted to talk about in Obadiah. And this is one of the points, but this just kind of underscored one of the points. There's a lot of bad that's going on in this world, right? And, and there's a lot of bad that's been going on for a long time, but maybe it was hidden and remained covered up. And then all of a sudden it explodes and somebody says something and somebody else sa- says something else. And, and my, my friend of mine was saying, he goes, you know what, I just... I'm glad that these stories are finally coming out and something is being done about it. That justice is being served for the people who for years may be abused or neglected other people. And for years they got away with it. It was covered up. And then all of a sudden these come out and the people who have been victim for years and years and years, finally in some small way they get to be exonerated because the person who had hurt them, their abuser, is finally going to get justice. Obadiah reminds us that because Edom sat around and they did nothing while their brothers were being uh, taken away into captivity, that they would reap the consequences. And that's a reminder for each one of us. And I don't want to necessarily shed that in a negative light, but you are sowing some positive seeds that will reap some beautiful results someday. Unfortunately, we don't get to see those grow sometimes. Keep sowing those seeds. And the last key lesson to Obadiah is this. God will redeem His people. Obadiah 17 and verse 21 say this. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance, it will be holy, and the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. 
deliverers, verse 21, will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau and the kingdom will be the Lord's. The last thing that the prophet Obadiah was told through God is that God will not forget and He will redeem His people. May that be hope for each one of us. When things aren't going great. When we look around and we see other people who are prospering because of their wickedness. Or maybe we're struggling with hurt and we want to know why God would have allowed this to happen. God has not finished speaking. Revelation chapter 21 was not the end of God's Word. God still speaks today. And He will continue to have words for His people. May you remember and have hope in the fact that God promised that someday the words we are going to hear is come good and faithful servant. Receive your inheritance from the Lord. Don't give up. Things are tough around us. Don't give up. May the book, small book of Obadiah, remember of a faithful God that we have an opportunity to shine a light in difficult times. To remember that we have opportunities to minister to those who are in need. And to remember that what we sow today, we can enjoy in the future. If you've forgotten about the faithfulness of God, I want to encourage you. I want to remind you that we have a God of love and forgiveness. It's why we're here. It is why we're here. To celebrate a God and His love and His mercy. And I want to encourage you to join me as we celebrate a God of great love and mercy. And let's do it as we stand and sing.